Welcome to the NatureVact podcast, where we are talking with investors and entrepreneurs about climate change and the green economy. My name is Tarmo Virki, and today I'm speaking with Alex Blum from Applied Bioplastics. Welcome, Alex. Thank you so much, Tarmo. Great to be here. Tell us in few words, what do you guys actually do? The name kind of suggests something, but... Uh... Certainly. Yeah, so, so Applied Bioplastics um, is, is looking for ways to make bioplastics viable. Um, so as you may be aware, bioplastics have many issues, but they're, they're also very promising, uh, in terms of being able to change our manufacturing economy to one that is greener. Um, so what applied bioplastics has done today is, um, is figure out a way to mix the world's most abundant polymer, which is cellulose, uh, with, uh, you know, fairer polymers like, uh, polypropylene, polyethylene, things that we have to extract from the ground and then make, uh, you know, by refining, uh, into plastics. So, um, you know, it's weird to think of plastic as rare, but, um, but oil itself is a finite resource on our planet. Um, further, uh, the, the amount of CO2 that we spew into our atmosphere through our manufacturing, um, th- there's a limit. To what we can do, we've we've likely already crossed it. Um, so it, it's incumbent upon all companies to to be looking uh, for for solutions to stop doing that, right? Um, so net net, what we've done uh, by mixing cellulose with uh, with with regular plastic, you know, in a in a way that uh, is inexpensive to 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 accomplish, uh, is that we've created a replacement for durable plastics that costs less than the original plastic while cutting the carbon footprint in half. Okay. The, uh, I mean, plastics and oil is probably the strongest link to, to the kind of, to the many listeners who think about the climate change and, the, and their uh, actions effect on the climate. So cutting it in, in, in half, you know, I would even guess more, no? It depends on, you know, it depends on the use case. It depends on the, uh, uh, you know, the fill percentage, all those sorts of things. So, you know, yes, we've gotten up to 85% carbon, uh, uh, you know, reduction in the lab, but it turns out that many companies need, uh, you know, particular, uh, uh, you know, physical properties for their plastic, right? You know, we, you don't want uh, your airplanes uh, bulkhead bending or breaking uh, because it hits some turbulence. So um, in order to meet the kind of the specs that we're looking for, um, you know, the average carbon reduction that we that we achieve is about 50%. We can go higher. In some cases, we're forced to go lower. Um, but, uh, but what's really revolutionary about this is that the vast majority of bioplastics are reliant on a single source of cellulose. Um, you know, one species of mushroom, one type of algae, uh, you know, one particular thing that needs to be grown in a lab and is super expensive and, you know, super time consuming to to scale. Um, Applied Bioplastics has figured out how to use cellulose as a category, not as a particular species. Um, So what that enables us to do is use anything from lawn clippings to invasive species to agricultural waste. Um, so we're not growing our own fiber. We're not deforesting any areas. And we're certainly not reliant on any single species. This enables us to control our own pricing. Um, and, and that enables us to be kind of independent of the oil market, uh, when, when it comes to pricing. And really, you know, Tarmo, this is, this is where everybody falls down, um, in, in the bioplastics market. There's one of two reasons. One of them is you need, um, custom equipment to create 
your plastic or you need custom equipment to use your plastic and, and something that, you know, every miraculous new popular mechanics, hey, we've got a bioplastics that's going to shape the future. Uh, the, 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 the reason none of those ever work is because there's hundreds of billions of dollars of capital equipment in the plastics market already dedicated to processing and using the plastic that we already use. If your ask, if your product asks every corporation on the planet that does manufacturing to rip and replace hundreds of billions of dollars of equipment, you can see where the problem is, right? So that's why we've seen no adoption despite having invented, you know, humanity's invented like 25 or 30 bioplastics in the last, you know, 10 years, and none of them have been widely adopted. Um, And so that's one big problem. The other big problem is say you solve that issue, say that you have a plastic that works in the standardized uh, uh, machinery that's already in place. Um, How much does it cost, right? Um, I, I'm friends with a, a number of people that are, are working on this. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm aware of a number of others who are working on this, but um, the cheapest and largest scale plastic producer out there today for a bioplastic, uh, I'm not going to name them because I don't want to name and shame, but, um, you know, it cost $177 million to set up their first facility. Um, and they have not produced a gram of plastic and their company's been around for 10 years. Um, and And so... The issue is the reason they haven't produced any plastic is because because of that capital expenditure, their plastic costs five thousand dollars per metric ton. Normal plastic costs eighteen hundred dollars a metric ton, sometimes between twelve and eighteen hundred dollars. Right. So so having a three hundred percent markup on a commodity. Is a place where you cannot be. As a, as, a, as a commodity producer. So what applied bioplastics has achieved here is a you know substantial carbon reduction at price parity that is both made and used in standardized machinery for plastics today. Mm-hmm. So that, that's, that's why our, our, our solution is significant. And a couple other pieces here. Um, we're able to use plastics, not just the virgin plastics, but we've also proven our technology with recycled polymers and bio-based polymers. And the reason this is important is that applied bioplastics does not compete with the plastics market. We're actually partners to the plastic market. What we've done is we figured out how to take that cellulose, that raw cellulose, and turn it into something that can be easily married to other types of plastic. Um, Small tweaks to the formulation enable us to, to, you know, marry it to a bunch of different types of plastic as well. So um, for those bioplastic producers who have not been able to find a market yet because their plastic is too expensive. Guess what? Let's cut out half of your very expensive plastic and put in half of my very inexpensive plant fiber. Now with that, we can reduce your carbon footprint and bring your price down to something that's competitive with the rest of the market. Same thing for recycled plastic. Weirdly, this is very strange. Uh, recycled plastic is worse than virgin plastic from a, a, a mechanical perspective. It doesn't do the job as well. And yet it's more expensive in a lot of cases uh, than virgin plastic because people want to say that they're sustainable. Well, again, what we can do is we can cut out half of that plastic, we improve the mechanical properties, and we reduce its cost. So making an adoption of recycled plastics uh, more viable as well. And then lastly, on the virgin plastic side, this is a pure carbon cutting play, right? We just cut out half the half or more of the of the CO2. Um, and you go out go about your business emitting half, right? And you pay about the same. Exactly. Well, uh, Tell me the kind of the birth story. How was the company founded? What was the uh, trigger to launch the applied bioplastics? 
Certainly. We, we had one of the weirder founding stories that I've heard. You know, I've been in, I've been in startups for the, you know, I don't know. I, I worked for WP Engine. I worked for, for a thousand eyes. Um, I think all out of the last years of my career, about nine of them have been with startups. We have the strangest one I've, I've, I've found. Um, so when I was, uh, a, a, uh, <laughs> A salesman. So I was a salesman for for most of my career. I, I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin. Um, I sold high tech stuff, uh, but before that, I you know the the recession, right? I graduated in in 2012, but uh, I'm sorry, 2014. But um, you know, I, uh, I I had matriculated in 2008, dropped out in 2009. So when I dropped out, I was selling cars, windshield repairs, hotel rooms, the like. You know, so I stayed in sales after getting my degree, um, and you know, worked for Amazon, worked for Oracle. Um, and, and then started working at startups and, and, um, you know, in 2017, I closed my entire annual quota for thousand eyes, which was, is now part of Cisco, uh, uh, in the first two months of the fiscal year and received an enormous, enormous commission check, you know, more money than I'd ever seen at once in my entire life. Um, and so I was 27 years old at the time. And I said, you know, I don't need this money. Um, you know, having paid off my debts at that point, right? I, I decided to, you know, I, I used some of that money and paid off the rest of my my millennial American debt. You said you're from Estonia, so you may not have the student debt problem over there. But as an American millennial, I, I was in a great deal of debt having gone to school, um, you know, even despite working through school. Um, so I, I, I paid off my debts. I had a great deal of capital left over. Um, and I decided I don't need this money. Um, I'm 27. I, I am not married. I, uh, you know, I don't own a home. Um, I'm, I'm happy with my car the way it is. I'm going to give this money away to charity. Um, and, and so I earmarked, earmarked all of the remainder, uh, uh, for charity. So, I, you know, I, I helped out a, um, a local food kitchen here in, in Austin that had helped me out back in the recession when I was poor and starving. Um, I, I started an advocacy group that is, you know, pushing a bill, uh, about, uh, public safety, uh, at the, at the Texas Capitol, which is just, just down the road from me. And lastly, um, I was reached out to by a good friend from college from Bangladesh who told me 2 million people just crossed our border in two weeks. I don't know what they're running from. But I heard that you were looking to do humanitarian work, and um, and perhaps this is something that would interest you. Well, I said, well, yes, it is. Um, you know, I'm of of Hebrew heritage. Um, you know, most of my family tree kind of ends in 1945. So yeah, genocides, uh, which is what this sounds like, are are very interesting. You know, to me, and and I, I want to to do something to help address this problem. So I flew to Bangladesh. Uh, to see what was going on and, and walked into and was actually one of the first Americans with boots on the ground in the Rohingya genocide in Myanmar. Um, and so, you know, having arrived, I realized, you know, holy crap, I've got about $200,000 and there's 2 million refugees here. I, I can't give these people all 10 cents and actually, you know, make a difference here. So what can I do to help? Um, and, and, um, uh, what it, what it kind of came down to was that nobody really knew this was happening back in 2017. Um, and so I wanted to let the world know. So I hired a crew of local Bangladeshis and Nepalis and, and, um, together in about three weeks, we filmed a, a documentary in the world's largest refugee camp. Um, that documentary was my first 
shot at film at all. Uh, I wrote it, I narrated it, I executive produced it. Um, I did not direct it. Thank God, it would have been a mess. Uh, but uh, but you know, we won several major awards, including the World Fest International in Houston, where it was picked up by Amazon. So if your listeners care to watch it, it's called Blossoms from Ash. It is on Amazon. I think it's no longer on Amazon Prime, so you got to pay for it, unfortunately. But um, you know, if you're interested in the Rohingya genocide, that is there on Amazon. Um, so while I was there, I was introduced to a Bangladeshi scientist by the name of Dr. Mubarak Ahmed Khan. Um, now, Khan is somewhat famous across Asia uh, for having come up with interesting ways to use cellulose. Um, what he showed me was really cool. It was this um, it was basically like burlap and resin, um, except the sample that he showed me was 30 years old and looked like it was brand new. And I was like, how did you achieve this? And he said, well, I managed to make the cellulose bond correctly with the the, the, the thermoplastic resin. Um, and that, you know, that created this wall. And I was like, well, what do you do with these walls? And he says, well, I, you know, I can build houses with them. Um, I can, I can, you know, panel a sound studio. They're great insulators, apparently. Um, and I said, this is amazing. I, I you know, I see applications in refugee housing because I just spent three weeks in a refugee camp where these people have been for, you know, months at this point. And, and, you know, they're all living in these leaky, terrible, moldy tents and stuff like that. Like, why can't we build them housing out of, you know, what is a, a local material, right? This is, um, you know, Dr. Khan had made it out of jute, which is super common to India and Bangladesh. It's just, it's a cover crop for rice, you know? Um, so it's getting planted anyway. There's not a really a lot of use cases for it um, and and easily can be turned into, into, into housing using local materials and labor. So it's like, holy crap, you've stumbled across something that could put a roof over every head on the planet. You know, let, let me buy that from you. And he said, no. And I was like, oh, uh, okay, I guess I'll go home then. So I, I flew home and, you know, I thought about it for some time and, and I was just like, I can't let this go. Like, you know, this is, this is, you know, splinter in my mind that, that, you know, there's this, you know, this amazing application out there. So I, I started calling some people and, and, um, you know, asking for advice because I'd never started a business before. And I, I just, I was sure that if I went back and showed Dr. Khan that I was committed to doing something with this, um, that, that he'd, he'd sell me the IP. Well, I was wrong and I was right. I, you know, I, I got some good advice. I decided to start the business. I, I actually got my, my longtime housemate and, um, and, and, you know, best friend, uh, Colin Ardern, uh, to, to put in some money and then come on as, as CEO. Um, we recently swapped positions, but either way, um, you know, we, we flew back to Bangladesh together and it took us about six months, but we convinced Dr. Khan to sell us the IP for, uh, for, for what we're calling Betterboard. Uh, so that was the first product that we started making. Betterboard, um, is biothermoset resin board. We've actually built two villages for the victims of the, the Rohingya genocide. There have been people living in our villages for the past year and they report much better happiness, health, less moisture dripping on their heads. They stay, you know, cool in the summer and, and warm in the winter. Uh, the, the housing has survived several monsoons. So we're really excited about the fact that we've made a real difference in people's lives, um, and, and look to scale this through licensing to governments. Because look, you, you can just take local plant material, thermoset resin, which you can find just about anywhere, um, and, and a couple of proprietary chemicals that you know are not custom, right? Like you can buy those anywhere as well. We just need to teach you how to do it. We want to license it to, to governments for a dollar a house, right? Just look, please build housing for people. I don't really want to make a whole lot of money on it, um, but let me teach you how. Um, so that's the first product, right? And, and we're confident in being able to sell better, better board basically at cost, um, because of 
our second product, which is BioFi. Um, BioFi is what I was describing at the at the the top of the show. Uh, the the mixing of cellulosic fiber and hence BioFi um, into into petrochemical resins, um, which we developed over the past three years. We patented it over the the, the past summer, so summer twenty twenty two, and um, and are beginning to to you know have our first sales uh, right now. Actually, we we've made our first few sales in the last month. Cool. Uh, tell me a little bit about the kind of ability to grow. I'm sure that's the, probably the most common question from the, from the investors who tell you that, wow, you made something which has, makes, can make a major difference in the world, but how do you scale it? How do you take it around the world? Certainly. So um, this is, it's a lot easier than it sounds. So, so let's go back to the building blocks of the technology. Mm-hmm. It is compatible with it's both made and used in normal machines, right? So um, the machinery already exists. When I was talking about that hundreds of billions of dollars of capital equipment that is a stumbling block for every other bioplastic company, that's an asset to us, right? That it already exists. Um, so today, the way that we're making our plastic, we, we actually don't even own our own facility. We have broken out our IP among three contract manufacturers. We teach them how to do step one, two, and three, and then put it into a completely standard plastic manufacturer. So there's a there's a type of company called the a, a tolling compounder. So just to kind of educate the 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 listeners here, this is this is how plastic is made. Uh it gets extracted by an extraction company. It gets refined by a refining company. And then the step that most people don't know about is it gets compounded with additives, right? So raw plastic really never gets used in manufacturing applications. You have to add colorants and dyes and UV stabilizers fire retardants, rubberizers, plasticizers, emulsifiers, whatever you want, right? Like it depends on the use case, but you need to add your additive package to it. That's when we get inserted as well. So we get inserted at the compounder level. There are thousands and thousands of compounders all over the world. All we've got to do is license them our technology and sell them our fiber. Our fiber, as far as scaling that, um, what I need to make my fiber is uh, a, a grinder to grind up the fiber, uh, a dual reaction chamber, which sounds fancy, but it's really like a bucket or two buckets with a pipe running between them. Um, and, and, um, and lastly, an oven. I can get that anywhere, man. Like, like I can set that up on any continent, uh, where, where there's human habitation, right? Um, so that's super easy. Um, you know, and all we do is we, we find a source of fiber that meets our criteria. We have, we have really strict criteria because we can use any type of fiber. We want to make sure that we're using the best fiber by best. I mean, uses the least water is the least, you know, ecologically disruptive, um, preferably was used before, right? Like, so like, you know, hemp that has been pressed for CBD oil is a great example. Um, you know, agave that's, you know, already been turned into tequila. That's another great example. Barley straw, which has already been turned into beer, you know, secondary uses, right? Um, those are our ideal, our ideal fibers. So we, we identify the fiber source, which is close to the customer. We set up our three machine setup to create the BioFi fiber. We partner with a local compounder who is already supplying the customer and we teach them how to incorporate our fiber into their plastic. It's, it, you know, I, I hate to be like, it's barely an inconvenience, but it's barely an inconvenience. It's not hard to scale our product because all of the equipment already exists. Sounds, sounds good. Uh, looking into 2023, what are your big challenges what, what, or big milestones you're looking forward to? Certainly. So, so the, 
tough part about being a material science company that did not come out of a university is that there's not a lot of capital available to us. Um, material science companies typically come through the university pipeline where somebody has a big, bright idea and they say, I have an idea. I would like a grant for that, please. Um, and then they get a grant to work on it for like five to 10 years. And then they leave the university with a patent, right? And then there's a specific set of venture capitalists who only look at new materials that come through that pipeline. I don't have access to that pipeline. You heard my weird ass story, right? Like I acquired a patent and then, you know, created a new patent on the basis of the idea, you know, with uh, U.S. international protection. But like it did not come through a university. It doesn't have uh, the third party validation that those new materials VCs want to see. So I can't take their money or they won't give me their money either way. Um, you know, you can take, so but uh, the challenge is on their side. <laughs> Right, exactly. They, they they can't get to confidence about giving it to us because they don't have 30 professors saying this will work, you know. Um, so, um, you know, we're, we're largely bootstrapped. I mean, we've raised $1.2 million over three years. That's not a lot of money. We have 20 employees, right? We, we have offices in, in London, Austin, uh, Round Rock, um, you know, Maharashtra, India, and Dhaka, Bangladesh. So $1.2 million is not a lot of money for all that, right? Um, you know, and, um, and so that's what we're doing right now. That, that is actually the biggest challenge is we're starting to get to revenue right now. We've got like 48 companies in the pipeline, um, many of whom are already in a paid pilot or testing our material. Um, you know, we, we've got this just massive revenue pipeline and we need to start activating on it. Um, right. So, like I said, we just got to our first couple of sales over the last month um, and, and we're hoping to scale that massively over the next three to six months. Um, we need money for that, unfortunately. Um, it's not like you can just kind of wish your product into existence and then get paid for it. We, we have to pay for it to be made. So um, what keeps me up at night and, and what um, what worries me the most about what we do um, is that given that we didn't come through that university pipeline, I worry that we won't have access to enough capital. Um, and so, you know, this seems like a great time to plug my crowdfund. Uh, we just launched on, on Raise Green. Uh, you know, I, I know that there's going to be a link along with this podcast episode, but, um, if, if, if you miss it, it's raisegreen.com. Look for applied bioplastics. Um, we're raising, uh, about $1.25 million on a uh, safe note, right? Which means that there's no valuation. Valuation gets kicked down, you know, the, down the road. Um, but that $1.2 million, what that gets us is not only breathing room, but the ability to actually serve our customers, right? Like we, we need to buy the inputs to make our sales, right? And as soon as we get to that $1 million in annual recurring revenue, we're going to raise our seed round. And we're confident that we're going to get there by Q2 of this year. Um, so essentially, we've got a bunch of VCs lined up waiting for us to hit that 1 million annual recurring revenue. We think we can do that. What we need is $1.2 million right now to make that happen. Yeah. And uh, actually, the Q2 of this year is actually not that far. It's not. It's not. And, and that's the thing is, you know, like I said, we have 38 opportunities that are ready to pop right now. Um, and some of them are, you know, $5 million a year, right? So like, we don't need to bat a thousand here. We don't need to even bat, you know, 10%. We, we could, we can close one and we'll be there. Mm, absolutely. That's, uh, sounds like, uh, you know, you have, we'll, you will have your hands full for the next few weeks and months then. Definitely. Definitely. Mm. It's int interesting, uh, link to Bangladesh. I'm sure there are not too many. American startups with uh, roots in Bangladesh and uh, migration crisis or, or the humanitarian crisis. 
Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I think we're the only ones that I know of. And, um, you know, it, it's given us this interesting perspective on the world and, and um, you know, really on how to treat folks. Um, I read something on LinkedIn the other day that, that really upset me. It was like, um, you know, I don't have to pay, you know, my, my average pay is like $3 a day and my team members, and this is a CEO posting this, right? Mm. Saying that his team members are the kindest, most generous people. They really feel like family. And I pay them $3 a day because they're in India. And I'm just like, you know, I don't understand how you sleep at night, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, but but number two, I mean, like, let, let me kind of describe how we handle having overseas employees, because I think it's important. Um, and I know you didn't ask the question, but this is something that I'm really passionate about. Um, we treat our employees overseas the way that we treat our employees here in the U.S., they actually outnumber us. Um, so, you know, we we um, we do not just unlimited PTO, but we also talk about, you know, like you must take this many days off. It, you know, it's not like the unlimited PTO scam where you're just like, take as many days off as you want, but I'll judge you for it. You know, um, so we're like, you know, when you're sick, don't come in. Right. And you'll get paid um, if your health insurance doesn't cover the medicines that you need for yourself or for your family. We'll cover that. We're actually the first company in Bangladesh uh, to to offer dependent health insurance, which I know is like standard here in the U.S. But um, but we offer dependent health insurance. We we cover our you know our guys' uh, spouses and 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 their children as well. Um, it's unheard of, right? But but it's what we get here in the U.S. and it's what they should get over there. Um, you know, we pay in the top one percent of all uh, salaries in both countries. Um, and, and, um, you know, it's important, right. And listen, I'm not doing this out of the kindness of my heart. I'm doing this because what, what that gets me is undying loyalty. Number one, um, you know, I've had almost zero turnover in three years. Um, you know, the, the only folks that, that we've had to, you know, ask to leave, we had to ask to leave, right. Uh, because they weren't the right fit. Um, but we haven't had anybody quit. You know, um, the second thing is when I need a new a new hire uh, for a position. I mean, I, you know, I'll just give you an example, pulling out of my hat. Last time I posted a job, we got 1400 applications in the first like 12 hours that it was wow. live, you wow. know. So we we get the cream of the crop as a result of this. So so I, I really, you know, to, to anybody out there who's like, you know, thinking of starting an international business, these people are people, um, you know, they, they can be some of the best team members you'll ever have, um, you know. If if you treat them like 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 like, like not three dollars a day, right? Exactly, exactly. You know, our our guys actually make a, a living wage and are happy and are growing their wealth and their family. Uh, you know, working for us and and I mean, isn't that why we work? Exactly. Mom, I mean, uh, that's exactly. why I work. You know, yeah. so why why should it be any different for them? So true, so true. Um, covered the. Uh, the kind of the really interesting stuff you guys are building. We covered what are the next challenges. Uh, we will recommend anyone to check out the, the funding ground information through the show notes. Um, I mean, uh, anything you want to wrap up with? I think it's it's simply this. Um, you know, I, I know that the for anybody who's who's thinking about investing, right? You know, like. Raise green minimum is one thousand dollars. If if um, if you've got less than that to, to spend, don't put it on an early stage company for Christ's sake. Um, but um, but uh, but no, like if you if you if you're thinking about investing and, and you're thinking about doing that this season, um, I want to thank you for that. But I also want you to think about why you're doing it. 
um, you know, the reason we're doing this is is to leave a world for our kids, right? Um, the, the reason we're doing this is is to, of course, enrich our investors um, and and um, and and you know make companies more sustainable. But really, it's it's for the kids, right? Like you know, part of what I do over in Bangladesh is is I, I help nonprofits bring educational resources uh, to the the children of the victims of the genocide, um, particularly the young women, because you know it's kind of a, a peccadillo of that country that they kind of you know, push resources toward the young boys rather than the young girls. That's not fair. Um, but, but it's for them, right? It, it's for those kids. It's for your kids. It's, it's, you know, God forbid for my kids. I mean, I don't, I don't have time to have kids, but, um, you know, that's why we're doing this. So if you do choose to invest in us, um, know that the purpose here is to build a better world. Um, I know most founders, uh, will say that. I think we can, we can prove it. Um, you know, from our life cycle analysis to the way that we treat our employees, um, we are trying to make the world better at applied bioplastics. And I, I do hope you'll join us. Good stuff. Thanks, uh, Alex. It's a good point to wrap this up. And uh, thanks to our listeners. Until the next week. Bye. Join us again for the next episode. Thank you for listening. If you like the show, please give us a good rating and leave the feedback in your podcast player so others will find it too. We will be back next week. Turn on to Nature Backed Podcast. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a bit of a different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric acid. Electric acid. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together we explore vibrations, frequencies and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today.